It's been 15 months since we began working our way through John's Gospel. January of 2015 is when we began. And this morning, we're coming to the conclusion of his Gospel. And I think it's a fitting conclusion. After 15 months, we have looked at this profound eyewitness testimony of this disciple of Jesus Christ who spent three years with him. And as I, as I was preparing for this message, I was both elated and sad at the same time. Um, I've loved teaching through this book of the Bible. It's challenged me many times, um, but I'm sad to leave it behind, at least for now. I, it's not a book. It's like, okay, we're done. We're never going back to John's gospel. We'll, we'll be back again. Um, but after 15 months, we're finishing up. And um, I hope for you, like for me, John's become a friend. And Jesus has become a friend. And there's much that we've learned. And the conclusion of his gospel is fitting because in this last chapter, when we look closely, I think we will see uh, a number of the important themes that John covered in the life and ministry of Jesus and what it means to us. I'm going to start reading in verse 21, and we'll just read the entire chapter. So follow along as we read the Word of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Oh, what a story. <clears throat> now, although it would be a natural place to end in John twenty thirty one, which is where we began 15 months ago, where John writes, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It would be a natural conclusion, a natural ending to this story. But it's not where John stops. He continues on to show the amazing love and care that Jesus has for his disciples as he once again reveals himself to them and prepares them for what lies ahead. The resurrection has happened as Jesus has promised. The disciples have seen him twice since he rose from the dead as he powerfully appeared among them in locked rooms. He ate with them. He talked with them. He encouraged them. And then he instructed them to go to Galilee, to the mountain in Galilee. And so obediently they make their way to Galilee, which is about an 80-mile walk from where they were in Jerusalem, where Jesus had told them to go. But in John's account, they'd not yet made it to the mountain. Matthew, in chapter 28, Matthew tells us that they make it to the mountain, but in John's account, they have not yet to get there. There's no clear explanation as to why. There's no clear explanation as to why they go fishing. There is much speculation on why Peter decided to go fishing, but fishing he did go, and six of his disciples decided we're just going with him. 
Peter wasn't sure what was supposed to happen, I think, beyond Galilee. But what he did know and what all the disciples were aware of, what Peter was very much aware of, was that he had failed the Lord. Even in the previous resurrection appearances, there's nothing mentioned about Peter's conversations with the Lord except the Lord expressing peace be with you. But here we're aware, John makes us aware of Peter's great failings. In, in Jesus' hour of greatest need, Peter denied knowing him. Peter denied knowing him three times. Jesus told him this would happen. Jesus predicted this would happen. And Peter, in his arrogance, in his boastfulness, um, he dismisses the Lord's prediction. Just a few days earlier when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room and told them that he was sending them out as the Father had sent them, I can only imagine Peter thinking, did he mean me? Did he mean me? The one who had betrayed him. The one who had denied him. Did he mean me? How could it mean me? How could it mean any of them? How could it mean any of these disciples? They had all deserted. They had all failed. How could Jesus send them out? They were humbled and beaten men when they arrived in Galilee. Peter, most of all. And so I think they return simply to what they know, to what is comfortable to them. It is, it is like, it's, for them, it's comfort. When, when we struggle, we find things that comfort us, whether it's comfort food or whether it's, it's getting away somewhere or going to a movie and watching movies, whatever. We find comfort in things that are familiar. And that's what these men did. They found comfort in what was familiar to them. So they go fishing. And yet even that is abject failure. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore and the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And he said, children, do you have any fish? And their response was, no. Now, in verse 3, we realize they, they went out into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. They go fishing and they fail even at that. The disciples' eyes at this moment are, are not fixed on Christ. They're fixed on just what is natural to them. What they don't realize at this moment, though, is that Jesus' eyes are fixed on them. Jesus is looking at them. And so they fish all night without success in the dawning light. They look out and they see a man standing on the shore who asks them, have you caught any fish? Now, I am not much of a fisherman, but I have fished. And, and it doesn't, it's no good when people say to you, have you caught anything? And you haven't caught anything. You simply want to say, go away. Go, go somewhere else. And then, and then they even say, hey, have you tried over there? Like, I've been here for eight hours. I've tried everywhere. Seriously? And so here's this man standing on the shore saying, hey, have you caught anything? No, we've caught nothing. Well, cool. Try the other side of the boat. 
Now, they've been over the sea. These are fishermen. These are experienced guys. I, I just, I could imagine what goes through their minds. Who is this guy? What does he know about fishing? He's standing on the shore. He hasn't been in the boat with us all night. He's standing on the shore. And now he's offering advice. Throw the net on the other side. But what else do they have to do? So, I think with just some reticence, they probably just think, okay, why not? And uh, they throw it on the other side. And immediately, the net is filled to overflowing with large fish. And at that moment, John looks and sees something familiar in the man on the shore. Now there's a similar story in Luke chapter 5 where they are fishing and Jesus tells them to do something similar and the, the nets are filled and even begin to break. And at that moment they realize it is God and Peter cries out, depart from me for I am a sinful man. And John here, I think, reaches back in his memory to that moment and he sees the Lord and he responds after all the fish are into the net. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And Peter hears John exclaim this and immediately, this is Peter, he jumps into the, into the water. He jumps into the sea. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. That is a strange response to catching fish. You should be hauling the net into the boat, not jumping headfirst into the water. So he makes his way to Jesus. The other disciples bring the, begin, bring the boat in. And, and Jesus has this fire going on the shore. And he's cooking fish. And he's cooking the fish for the disciples. And he has bread there. And he, and he says these words to them. Come and eat. Come and have breakfast. Bring some of the fish you caught. We'll feed all of you, but come and have breakfast. Now, they all knew it was Jesus. But even after his third appearance, even seeing the risen Christ was still a bit strange. They didn't recognize him at first. The guys on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus. Mary, when she encountered him in the garden, did not recognize him because there was something different about the resurrected Christ. And John makes it clear in verse 1 of 21, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. And in verse 14, this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples. So his resurrected body was different. There was something different. And so they didn't recognize him at first, and now they do. But, but he's not the same. And, and these guys are, are not quite sure what to do. 
None of the disciples dared ask him in verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Well, yeah. You wouldn't ask somebody, who are you, if you knew who they were. But, but John records this for a reason. These, these guys are still trying to make their way through this whole process of the crucifixion, of Christ's death, of Christ's resurrection, and what it all means. And in the midst of this hanging over them is their awareness of their complete failure to, f- to stand with him in his greatest hour of need. And like the disciples, in spite of our failures, we must fix our eyes upon Jesus who has fixed his eyes upon us. Like the disciples, in spite of our failures, we must fix our eyes upon Jesus who keeps his eyes fixed upon us. What have we learned from this gospel? And I think John wants us to... to learn three things. He, he wants us seeing the exalted Christ. That's number one. He wants us seeing the exalted Christ. John reminds us in verse one that Jesus has risen just as he wrote about in chapter 20. As he had before, he reveals himself once again to his disciples. Even in his humiliation on the cross, Jesus was exalted as he fully obeyed his father. The cross wasn't just Jesus' humiliation, it was also his exaltation as he fully obeyed his Father, as he drank from the cup of suffering and, and death, and he rose from the dead. And now he is ascending and descending from heaven, appearing to the disciples since his resurrection. And soon he will ascend to the Father and sit on the throne where he rightly belongs until the day he does return. The exalted Christ has proven to be God, just as John had said throughout his gospel, just as John had recorded that this is the Son of God. And that by writing these things, he would want you to believe that this is the Messiah, the Son of God, the exalted one. And that is who John wants us to see. He wants us to see the exalted Christ who is omnipresent. He's ever-present, always there. He appears in locked room. He appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appears to more than 500 others. Now he appears out of nowhere to his disciples along the Sea of Galilee. He is always where he needs to be when he needs to be because he is the omnipresent God. And just as he is always with his disciples, so he is always with us. Psalm 139, where can we go from the Lord? There is no place we can run. There is no place we can hide. Jesus is omnipresent. The exalted Christ is always among us. Hebrews, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. The exalted Christ is omnipresent. 
Secondly, the exalt um, is also all-knowing. He's omniscient. He appears to Thomas and tells him, Thomas has said, I will not believe, I will never believe until I put my fingers in his hands and in his side. Eight days later in a locked room, Jesus appears among them and his first words are to Thomas, here, put your finger in my hand and in my side. Jesus wasn't there when Thomas said those words. But he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so when he spoke those words, Thomas immediately realized who he was. He's the exalted Christ. And he looks at him and says, My Lord and my God. He's also omniscient here. There's no fish. Throw the net on the other side. He knew there were fish there. And so they do. The exalted Christ is omnipresent. He's omniscient. And he's also omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The exalted Christ is all-powerful. Only God has the power to make 153 large fish jump into a net on only one side of the boat. Only the omnipotent Christ could rise from the dead. John shows us the exalted Christ that the disciples saw as they encountered him along the Sea of Galilee. John wants us first and foremost in this passage as he closes his book, he wants us to see the exalted and risen Christ. Secondly, he wants us receiving the forgiving Christ. Jesus invites Peter and the other men who deserted him in these wonderful words in verse 12, come and have breakfast with me. Come, follow me. Come, all you are we- who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, have breakfast with me. These, these guys, I, this must have been un, just undoing to them. To a man, these guys are feeling shame. It's, it's partly why they're so uncomfortable around him. They'll eat with him, but they're still somewhat afraid. Peter, I'm sure most of all, his failure was the most vivid of all. Think about Peter's bold predictions in John 13. Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Mark 14, 29, looking at all the other disciples, even though they all fall away, I I will not. And as they finish eating, as Jesus is kindly having breakfast with these men, Peter, who is aware of how badly he failed, the Lord looks at him and asks him three questions. Now, these three questions very much mirror Peter's three denials. Three questions that revealed Peter's greatest failure and Jesus' unconditional and loving forgiveness. 
The first two times in verse 15 and 16, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? It's interesting. He doesn't use Simon Peter. He uses the name that Simon had before Jesus changed his name. Peter the rock was not the rock. These, this is a reminder. John is making a statement here that Jesus using Simon's previous name is communicating to Peter his failure. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. The first two times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, Peter replies yes, saying yes, the all-knowing Lord, I, you're all-knowing. I, I know he, he recognizes Jesus' omniscient. He knows that Jesus knows him and knows his heart. And he responds saying, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Russ Ramsey, in his commentary, said this, With this confession came the burden of the riddle he, Peter, had become. This man who truly did love his Lord wore the same skin as the man who swore an oath that he had never met him. And then the third time, third time Jesus asked the question, I can only imagine there's got to be some tears flowing down Peter's face. And grief is filling his heart as Jesus presses harder. Do you really love me? He asks a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this to him a third time. What is remarkable about this passage of Scripture is how complete the forgiveness of Jesus is for those who sin and yet humble themselves and seek His forgiveness. His forgiveness not only cleanses, but as John records here, it does more. It restores. For all of Peter's sins, his boasting, his pride, his cowardliness, Jesus forgives him and restores his call that he, that Jesus had placed upon Peter's life. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Those are restorative words to Peter. Peter had gone back to what he knew. He went back to fishing. Jesus appears on the scene and says, No, Peter, my forgiveness is complete. Receive my forgiveness. Receive the call that I have placed upon your life. How often do we allow our failures to exceed his forgiveness? Oh, he couldn't forgive me for that. Oh, that, that. That sin could never be forgiven. 
I'm sure he's had enough of me. I can't go to him again for this sin. How often do we allow our failures to exceed his forgiveness? Listen, whatever sinful failures you have, whatever sinful failures you might be thinking of even right now, whatever sinful failures you will have in the future, Jesus' forgiveness is waiting. See the exalted Christ. Receive the forgiveness. It takes humility and it takes acknowledgement, but it is offered freely by the risen Lord. Thirdly, John wants us following the suffering Christ. He wants us seeing the exalted Christ. He wants us receiving the forgiveness of the risen Christ and he wants us following the suffering of Christ. In verse 18, Peter has been restored. Three times Jesus had told him, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And now in that moment of restoration, Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter has been restored by Jesus and has been tasked by him to fulfill the calling and the, as being the leader of the church, as being a pastor, as being a witness and a follower of Christ. And now Jesus does not make this recommissioning easy. He prophesies to Peter that after many years of following him, when he is an old man, and it was more than 30 years, after serving in ministry, he will die a painful martyr's death. When John writes here that Peter will stretch out his hands, he's speaking of crucifixion. That Peter will be crucified. Now interestingly, as they were walking... They had separated themselves from the other disciples. Peter looks, in verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John who's writing this gospel, following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? So John is identifying himself as the one following after Peter and Jesus. Twice in this passage, Jesus has told Peter to follow him. It's the same command that is spoken to us regardless of the cross or the cost we must bear. And as Peter looks and sees John following, he turns to Jesus and he asks this question. Lord, what about this guy? What about this man? <laughs> Oh, Peter's just heard. He's been restored. He's been forgiven. 
Peter has just been tasked with his future responsibilities of leading the church, of, of being a witness for Christ, of suffering for Christ. And his first question is, what about him? What's going to happen to him? I think Peter is still Peter. Not a lot has changed. And Jesus' response is similar. He reproves him. Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Those are not gentle words. Just follow me. It is a firm rebuttal. It is a firm rebuke by Jesus. Peter, all you need to be concerned about is my call upon your life, not John's. My plans for him, Peter, are none of your business. Just follow me. I wonder if at times we might act the same way. We see God at work in someone's life and wonder why they have been given things that we've desired. We see others prosper and we grow jealous and envious. We see trouble and suffering in our lives and others who are prospering and we wonder why. How often do you like God's plan for someone else's life better than your own? Jesus' response is, stop it. (laughs) Don't fret about my plans for your life or for someone else's. I'm writing your story specifically in my providence. I am writing your story for what is your ultimate best. Don't complain. In C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, The Horse and the Boy, the boy Shasta is conversing with the Christ figure, the lion Aslan, and Aslan recounts his sovereign working in Shasta's life. How he was the lion who drove away the jackals while Shasta slept. How he was the one who comforted him among the houses of the dead. And the one who propelled the boat that Shasta was in that bore him to shore that he could receive help. And as Shasta listened to Aslan tell this, reflecting on the lion's sovereign claims, he suddenly questions Aslan. Then it was you who wounded Arvis? Aslan replies, it was I. Shasta says, but what for? And Aslan replies, child, I'm telling your story, not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. Kent Hughes said this in his commentary, each of our lives is a sovereign creation of God. Our worth and our effectiveness, God's favor in our lives is not to be determined by comparison with others. We're not to be involved in unprofitable musings about the relative providence of our lives, how one brother has it easier than another, or how one ministry is fraught with hardship and another is not, or why one believer becomes famous and another remains obscure. We are each simply to follow Christ. 
Russ Ramsey said this. He said, Jesus didn't go through all that suffering just for his own victory over the grave. He did this for the rescue of those who would believe in him as well. Through the messy lives of those who could love him and fail him in the same breath, he would bring rivers of the grace of God to a thirsty world. We are simply to follow Christ Child, said Aslan, I'm telling your story, not hers. How often do you struggle with wanting someone else's story? And when we do, we're not following Christ. We're following our own sinful desires. Now, the the point here that Jesus is making with Peter is, look, my story for you is your ultimate best. Even though it is a story that will end in suffering, it will be a story that also ends in exaltation. Because there will be a day when you will rise from the dead. There will be a day when you will stand before the throne and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. The Lord has a story for everyone here, but it's personal. It's personal. And it's a story that we live out corporately together, but yet it is still a story that is personal to you. Whatever is going on in someone else's story, Jesus says this to you today. What is it to you? (laughs) Follow me. John completes his gospel with an appeal to us. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things that we know that his testimony is true. He wants us to believe He wants us to believe his testimony. And he tells us all that he has written only scratches the surface of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me just remind you, rehearse with you what John wrote and what we've heard and read these past 15 months. He is from the beginning, and He is the Word, and He is God, and the world was made through Him. He is the life, and the life is the light of men. To all who receive Him, who believe in His name, He gives the right to become children of God. He is the Word become flesh who dwelt among us. He is full of grace and truth. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Son of God and the King of Israel. He turned water into wine. He promised to rise from the dead. Whoever believes in Him has 
has eternal life. He who does not believe is condemned. He gives his spirit without measure. He is the living water welling up to eternal life. He is the Messiah. He is the son who gives life. He is the one who executes judgment to the resurrection of the life or the resurrection of judgment. He was sent by God the Father. He walked on water. He is the bread of life and whoever comes to him will not hunger. He is the river of life. Whoever comes to him shall not thirst. All who the Father gives to him will come to him and will never be cast out. He is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. If you abide in his words and his words abide in you, you are truly his disciple. If you know the truth, it will set you free. He came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If anyone keeps his word, they will never taste death. He is the good shepherd. His sheep know his voice and he calls his own by name. He is the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by him, they will be saved. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give my sheep eternal life and they will never perish. Believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will never leave you as orphans. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Father, thank you for this prolific work. For these words that you have spoken to us over 15 months. Lord, may you seal these words upon our hearts and our minds. Lord, may these words not depart from our lips. But may they grow more familiar as time goes on. Lord, thank you for allowing us the privilege of reading these words, hearing these words, and knowing you by these words. Lord, thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.